Now, Satan is everything opposite of Christ, isn't it? Satan is a liar. Christ is truth. Satan has sinned. Christ was without sin. He's the sinless one. Satan is a murderer. Christ gives life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And much more, of course, is said in the Gospel of John. Now, in the amount of time that we have left, uh, there's much I said to the wife as we were traveling down. It's not what I can preach. It's what I'm going to have to preach in the time that we have. There are three areas I want to deal with tonight. I want you to think on them with me, if you will. Three areas that I believe that Satan is busy in in this world tonight. Now, I have given them, started them all out with a D. It's a little bit easier to remember. And this is what I have down. Delusion, diversion, and division. Delusion, diversion, and division. And you stop and think about it, and I think you'll find that that is the method or the manner in which the adversary is working today. But what saith the Scripture? Well, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 2.11. This is another one of our passages that we were to consider tonight. So let's take a look at that for a few moments. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul said, lest Satan get an advantage over us. Might I suggest something tonight? And I'll be more than pleased to talk with the brethren afterwards on it. But as I understand the whole armor in Ephesians chapter 6, brethren, I believe that Satan is gaining a victory today. In this sense, that if you'll examine Ephesians 6 and examine Ephesians chapter 4, I think you'll find Ephesians 6 and Ephesians 4 will correspond. That is that they are related together. If we are going to turn back the enemy today, it can only be done in the light of Paul's revelation. And I believe that anyone who is preaching another gospel is being defeated by the adversary of the devil. Because if he has faith, and I believe it is faith as revealed through Paul's writings, I don't believe it's just faith in itself, and even the righteousness, I believe, is the righteousness which God reveals through Paul's revelation. As I see it, everything in Ephesians 6 points to the revelation given to Paul, and this is the only message that is going to defeat the adversary in the administration of grace. And when we lose sight of Paul's revelation, when we lose sight of the truth that God committed unto him, Satan is going to gain the victory, for he's going to bring division among the saints of God. And look around us today, and you'll find that we have division in the body of Christ. 
I don't believe God ever created the body of Christ with the intensive division, do you? My Bible tells me that when the body of Christ functions properly as it should, it will unite itself in love. It will edify itself in love. God is not confusion. Confusion is here today in this, the administration of God's grace, because men fail to see the distinctive ministry of Paul's revelation. Enough said on that. That's another subject for the other brethren. All right. We are not then ignorant of his devices. Now, we don't have time to get into the subject matter here entirely. And then it's fallen into sin. Paul said, you restore that man. You bring him back into fellowship. If you don't, Satan is going to crush him and he'll defeat you. And brethren, I believe you'll find in the Word of God that whenever anyone sins as a member of the body of Christ, the goal of every member of that body of Christ should be restoration. Because if there isn't restoration, Satan has won. I personally believe that, don't you? It should be the goal of each member of the body of Christ to try and bring about restoration. Because if there isn't restoration, there's division. And Paul is warning them. He said, if you don't restore this man, he's shown signs of wanting restoration. If you don't restore him, he'll be crushed. And many of God's people have fallen into sin. And even though there's been a godly sorrow and a godly repentance in their life, have been turned out by believers and they've been crushed by the adversary and lost for the ministry of the Word of God when they could have been restored and used in a greater capacity than ever before. Paul said we're not ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Do we have an enemy today? We better be aware of it. If our gospel or if our evangel be veiled or hid, it is veiled to them that are lost, in whom now note the God of this age hath veiled the minds of them which believe not. Do you know why it's so hard to reach the unsaved tonight? It's because Satan is veiling their minds, their understanding. He is causing them to believe everything except the gospel of salvation. And brethren, my understanding of the gospel of salvation is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. And the word of God says, this is the gospel whereby you are saved. If you keep in memory what I've preached unto you unless you believed in vain. Faith in anything else can never save you. I talked to two young men, my wife and I did. We were in Tennessee recently in a series of special meetings, and on the way down we talked to two young men. And the first young man, they were selling pictures at, uh, I think it was uh, South uh, 
was the name at the time again, I think, Stop Fulton, down in Tennessee, just across the Kentucky line. And so we stopped to talk with him. I asked the young man, said, are you, a, are you a child of God? I think I might have asked him, first of all, if he was saved and how long he was saved. He said, for, for over a year. And then I began to press the issue. How do you know you're saved? You know, that's something that I'm interested in, aren't you? If somebody is saved, I want to know how they know they're saved. And he said, well, I know I'm saved because of my love for God. I said, well, is your love for God that perfect? Is your love for God so perfect? No, he said, it's not. Well, I said, what then are you basing your salvation on? An imperfect love for God? Well, uh, no, he said, I guess not. And uh, we questioned him a little bit more. And, and he just hemmed and, and hawed. And I said, well, what, what are you putting your faith in? What are you putting your trust? How do you know you're saved? And uh, an older fella kind of worked his way over to us. And uh, he said, I see you're having some trouble. Uh, I said, yes, I just asked him this young man if he was saved, and he said he was. But I asked him if he knew how, and he didn't know how. You know, they were Jesus people. Well, he said he told you he was saved. I said, yeah, he did. Well, I said, you shouldn't ask him any more than that. <laughs> well, I said, I'd kind of like to know how he knows he's saved. You know, I want to know what he's basing his faith on, what his confidence, what his trust is in. And then uh, he went on to tell me that it were better for me if I had a <laughs> millstone hanged about my neck <laughs> than, than to cause one of God's little ones to stumble. And I said, well, now wait a minute here. I said, let's ask this young man. I said, have I said anything to offend you? Well, I don't think so, you know. And this other fellow, he was trying to get him to be quiet, you know. <laughs> and so I said, well, how does he know he's saved? I'm only trying to find out how does this young man know he's a child of God? Well, he said he, said he believed in Jesus. I said, yes, a lot of people believe in Jesus but are not saved. Our Lord asked the same question, who do you think I am? And do men think I am? There are many answers. And anyhow, I kept prodding him and prodding him and prodding him. And I said, don't you know that Salvation is based on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So this young man should be able to tell me that Christ died for my sins, that he was buried and was raised again the third day for my justification or on account of my justification. He should know where his faith is. Well, he wasn't too happy about this. And we went into a store, and as we came out of the store, the uh, bigger fella came over to me and said, Oh, I thought of another verse. <laughs> and you know, he's telling me all the time, I love you. <laughs> I love you. Yeah, I said, yeah, I guess you do. Uh, he says, I love you. And he said, I thought of another verse. So I don't know where it's found, but it, it goes something like, you should not put a stumbling block. I said, you're talking about Romans 14, I think. Uh, yeah, he said, you shouldn't put a stumbling block in front of the weaker brother. And he said, one thing God hates is the sin of pride. But he says, I love you. I said, let me understand you correctly now. I said, do you believe that I'm committing a sin of pride by asking this young man if you're saved? Right? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. 
I said, have you ever asked anybody if they were saved? Oh, yes. I said, I say, it's all right for you, but it's sin for me. And I said, how does this work out? I don't quite understand that. And you say you love me, and yet you're judging me. You're judging me as a sin of pride. All I've done is present the Lord Jesus Christ. All I've done is exalted my Lord through the word of God, and you're accusing me of religious pride. I said, that to me is not love. That's not what my Bible tells me Christian love is. Love does not judge. Love does not falsely accuse. But I gave him two of my Titus books. I said, you better read them over. Read one first and see if it's fit. If it's fit, maybe you can give him one to read. And then you make your judgment, see. But what is your salvation based on? Satan loves to veil the understanding. And the word veil is used in chapter 3. There's a veil in reading the Old Testament scriptures, which veil is done away in Christ when they recognize him as the anointed, as God's anointed one, the veil is removed. But Satan doesn't want the gospel to penetrate, does he? And so he veils the understanding. He tells them all different things. Oh, you're not really so bad. While in Tennessee, I brought a message one night. And I said, you know, the question is not whether or not you're good enough to go to heaven. I said, the question is whether or not you're bad enough to go to heaven. Because my Bible tells me that Christ died for sinners. Christ died for the ungodly, the unrighteous, the unholy young lady came up to me afterwards and she said I'd like to know do I have enough faith to be saved and I said well let's go down and talk about it so we talked about it and with her background of Church of Christ not knowing if she can be sure of her salvation not being able to, to place her faith in our Lord I presented the gospel and I said here it is pure and simple and plain all you have to do is believe it that's all you need to do just accept it, receive it as God said. God cannot lie. He promised eternal life before time. The only believe it. Leave it with the Lord. And then go away rejoicing in it. Just received her name today. I'm going to write to her shortly to find out how she's coming along. But Satan fails the understanding. And that's why sometimes, brethren, it seems as though there's a veil over the hearts and the minds of almost every unbeliever that we talk with. Satan doesn't want them to know the joy of salvation. He doesn't want them to see the gospel. And he veils the understanding. He's the God of the age. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's busy tonight. And he has thousands and thousands of young and old, yea, millions underneath his influence and underneath his control. And so we find in verse 4, in whom the God of this world or age hath veiled the understanding of them which believe not. Why? Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. But oh, praise God when the light comes. When darkness is dispelled and light comes 
and we say, Oh God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that in me there dwells no good thing, but I believe Christ died for me. I don't understand it. But brethren, we'll never understand it, will we? Have you ever been able to understand why Christ died for you? How much better are you tonight than when you were first saved? In yourself, you're not one whit better, are you? The old nature hasn't changed one bit. It's still as rotten and filthy as it ever was, but praise God for the new creation. If any man be in Christ, there is a new creation. Oh, thank God tonight for his power. Thank God tonight for his strength. Thank God tonight for his victory. Do you know tonight that every good work you do in the eyes of God is not your work but God's work? You would never do a good work except it be produced by the Holy Spirit of God even after you're saved. Every good work within us is God's work. Not ours. The Lord said, if you love those that love you, he said, what's that? Even the world does that. That's nothing to boast about. But do you love your enemies? Do you love your enemies? <laughs> you know, there are two outstanding facts in the Word of God, and I don't believe that this ever changes, at least not in principle. Two things God demands of man, and man meets all of them who meet every requirement God has. First of all, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, body, soul, and spirit. The second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. And brethren, if you do that, you'll fulfill everything God wants you to do. Paul even teaches love in his own writings, doesn't he? If you love your neighbor tonight, you'll never have to worry about anything else as far as mistreatment to them. But we don't have time for that. The second one we want to look at the first one is delusion. He blinds them on. He fails the understanding. The second one is division. Oh, I believe this is one of Satan's tools. And could you realize the impact the body of Christ would have on the world tonight if it were united? Do you realize tonight, brethren, what God would do among the world we're living in if every believer was united? in the sevenfold unity of the Spirit of God. But the unsaved comes into, come into our towns and they look and here's a church and there's a church and why they said they're all different kinds of churches. How can all of you believe in the same God, study the same Bible, and come to so many different conclusions? And the world is oftentimes deceived by division in the body of Christ. And I said earlier, we put so much forth, put forth so much energy fighting one another, we don't have time to fight the adversary. We exhaust all of our energies believing that the enemies that we're fighting are the members of the body of Christ. Now, I understand, brethren, we must stand for the truth. Don't misunderstand me. I don't want any to go out of here tonight and say, Pastor Baker's preaching, all we need to do is love everybody. I don't believe anyone stands for the word rightly divided any more than I do. But I do believe, brethren, that we need to expend more energies preaching and teaching the word of God 
and seen men and women coming to know Christ as Savior than we do fighting among ourselves. And when I say among ourselves, I'm talking about our churches as well uh, as the body of Christ in general. Uh, don't we find, well, maybe you don't have it down here. That's a wonderful thing. If your church runs smoothly and you've got perfect unity and perfect love, that's glorious. But we don't find that in every church. We find there is division. We find there is struggling and battling within. You know, I've, I've been around churches for a long time. I've only been in the ministry a little over 26 years. But my father was a preacher. And so I've known churches from as well far back as I can remember. I know what it's like. Division, one of Satan's greatest tools. But let's take a look at the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. Now I realize this is a little bit different, but I think it uh, is right down our theme here tonight. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. This is what makes the devil's work so deceptive. Yeah? This is what makes the adversary so deceptive. As I said earlier, they were interviewing some uh, Church of the Latter-day Saints, and a Catholic woman called up and said, I love the, the Mormons. They're wonderful people. They're good people. Good people? Well, now, I'm not judging them morally, but brethren, their doctrine. If you know anything about the doctrine of the Mormons, who make our Lord something that he was not, that to me is not good. But that's how deceitful the adversary is. You know, oh, they come. You know, we believe the Bible. Well, that's a little bit new too in some ways, isn't it? But they come as false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. But no marvel, Paul quickly adds, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, when he came to, came to Eve in the Garden of Eden, she wasn't afraid of him, was she? Not afraid a bit. And she listened to him. And I'm afraid tonight too many of God's people are listening to the adversary. He comes as an angel of light. And he deceives them and he causes division. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. What is Paul saying to the Corinthians? He says, listen, they're going to come in among you, and they're going to lead you astray. Paul said, you follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch out for these deceitful workers. They're going to come in and disrupt and divide. And then lastly, diversion. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, 
And all we've given you tonight, I'm sorry, First Timothy 4, verse 1, all we've given you tonight is really a skeleton. You're going to have to fill in. There's much, much more that could be dealt with in this area. Uh, we haven't begun to, to deal with the enemy except to see some of the areas that he's working in tonight. And I still believe tonight, brethren, the greatest tool against the enemy is the sevenfold unity of the Spirit. And everything that goes along with it. When we begin to preach and teach the word of God in the light of Paul's revelation, that's the message that Satan is, hates and will fight every step of the way. Oh, people come into our churches and they say, well, how come? Is this all you have? Yeah, that's all we've got. Well, over here, you know, they're bold, you're not the same. Yeah, I guess they are all right, you know. Well, wouldn't you like to have that? Would I like to have that? <laughs> I'd love it. <laughs> uh, boy, I'd just love to have to carry back some walls and build more, but I don't find it, you know? People come in and, oh my, we're thrilled. <laughs> but wait a minute, <laughs> you, you don't believe in baptism? Uh, well, yes, we believe in baptism, but in a little bit different way than maybe have been taught. We, we believe in spirit baptism, in the one baptism. Well, I don't know about that, you know. And, well, I'm going to go elsewhere. And somebody comes in, else comes in, and, oh, you believe in being filled with the Spirit? Yes, I do. Oh, I rejoice in being filled with the Spirit. <laughs> go to Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Be filled with it. That's wonderful. My uh, love, joy, peace. Oh, wait a minute, I'm talking about an experience. Uh, that's an everyday experience, isn't it? Well, they don't exactly want that either, do they? And so they come in, but they don't stay. They don't stay. One dear woman we had in one of our Bible classes, uh, she'd been baptized, uh, I think, once or twice already. She went uh, to a pastor. They were at a, a conference, and she went to the pastor, and she said, do you think it'd be all right if I was baptized again? She said, the first time I was baptized, really didn't do anything for me. You know, I didn't feel anything. Uh, it's out here in the woods now, and streams flowing. Let me be baptized again. Well, why not? Uh, like one man said, it's a great psychological event, and I can agree with that entirely. All right, First Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Well, where do they get their influence? <laughs> well, the old adversary is behind it all, isn't it? You know, there might be a thought here, maybe some of you pastors can think about it, that later on, or in latter times, I'm not so sure, brethren, that this is only true concerning the close of the administration of grace. I think sometimes that maybe it has to do with people who come to know the truth and then later on, at a later time, they, they give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons and we lose them. Now, just think on it. Uh, I think there might be a possibility here in what Paul is saying. But here again we see the adversary. See, diversion. He diverts them away from the truth. And oh, this can be done in so many ways. We've heard this evening of neo-evangelicalism. Isn't that diversion from the truth? There are many ways for Satan to divert us from the truth. 
Oh, the truth isn't so important, is it? Oh, I believe it, but let's not offend people over it. Well, I'm glad our Lord didn't have that manner about him. Uh, in his dealings with men, when it came to telling him what they were, the Lord told them exactly. He said, you know, you're nothing but sepulchers. <laughs> Uh, you, you're all white on the outside, but you're full of dead man bone inside. And uh, he told uh, in John 8 that you're of your father, the devil, you know. He's a liar, you're a liar. And they didn't like that, you know. That's a little offensive, too. They didn't appreciate it very much. Now, we can do it graciously. I don't know how you tell a sinner he's lost graciously. I tell him lovingly, because what greater news is there to the sinner? Then to realize his way out. And to realize there is hope. To realize there is salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have been delusion, division, and diversion. And I believe these are the methods that Satan is using tonight to try and hinder the work and the purpose of God. I think it's one thing, too, though, brethren, that we should remember. And I think it's a point well taken. That Satan is not a, a, a force or a power apart from God. That is, we do not have two gods fighting for power. There's only one God. The true and the living God. He's in control all the way. Don't think for a moment he is. Whatever authority Satan has, he has underneath God's power and God's authority. I think Job uh, is the best illustration of that that there is. When Satan came and he looked at Job and saw how righteous he was, and Job, uh, Satan said to God, Well, Job doesn't serve you for naught. You do this to Job. God said, No, but I'm going to let you do it. But that's all you can do. And God put restraint on Satan. Satan is restrained today, brother. He isn't going to take over God's universe. He isn't going to defeat God's purpose. He isn't going to defeat the Lord. God's still going to have the victory. God is having the victory tonight. I believe that with all my heart. God is in control, not Satan. He is only in control so much as God permits or allows him. But God is still in control of our world. God is still in control of our universe. God is still putting the knot into authority, those that he wants into authority. God is removing those that he wants to remove. Shall we not?